and welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I am David Kiley, Senior Editor of Wards Auto and your host. Looking at the developments in the auto industry this past week and listening to what companies are saying and doing in terms of pausing or pulling back their EV plans, I feel like I'm on solid ground saying that we are building EVs and selling them as has been mandated by the government. But we have overproduced for the demand we currently have for EVs. Now, there are a number of issues slowing the pace of sales compared with what we'd like them to be. Interest rates are high. Quick scan of rates shows new car interest rates from 5 to about 14 or 15%, depending on the credit score of the borrower. Inflation is still high, especially for car prices. The average transaction price of a new vehicle is a whopping $48,451, according to our friends at Cox Automotive. And the prevailing new car loan term, because those prices are so high, is about 60 or 72 months, but 84 months are becoming more common for terms for a new car loan. Boy, I remember when I first started buying new cars, the uh, typical loan term was 48 months. Well, the annual inflation rate for the United States was 3.7% for the 12 months that ended in September. Dining out is much more expensive than it was pre-pandemic. Gas prices have stayed stubbornly above $3 and in some parts of the country, $4 per gallon. And let's talk about pricing of EVs and how the federal tax credit factors in. So I did a quick uh, scan on the internet. EV buyers this year buying vans, SUVs, and pickup trucks, they can get a $7,500 tax credit if the MSRP is $80,000 or under. Other vehicles such as sedans and other passenger cars where the MSRP is capped at $55,000 in order to get that credit. Now, let's look at some of the prices. Prices of EVs range all over the place. Now, these are prices after the federal tax credit is factored in. Uh, Chevy Bolt, if you can find one, is about twenty grand after the uh, tax credit. Nissan Leaf, about 30000 The VW ID4, about 33000 38000 for the Hyundai Kona. 38 for the Tesla Model 3, 41,000 for the Mustang Mach-E. Again, these are all prices that come after the federal tax credit. And by the way, these are like starting prices. So depending on how you get these vehicles trimmed out, could be a little bit more. Tesla Model Y, about 43,000 and about 49,000 for the Nissan Aria. Ford Lightning, about 59,000. Let's talk about wages because wage growth has been a little bit, well, it's climbing, but it's actually been kind of wiped out by the inflation rate over the last couple of years. So buying an EV takes a leap for a lot of people. People in cities are reluctant. One-car households and suburbs are reluctant. The infrastructure is not up to snuff yet. The media, if you, if you Google EVs, You'll find anecdotes of people having great hassles with public charging. 
Lastly, we all know we're a divided country politically and EV mandates and buying EVs has become politicized to a great degree with the candidates from one of the two major parties banging on daily about EVs as a test of loyalty to the party. In other words, candidates of that one party are rallying around the notion that EVs are bad for everybody. That is a lot of headwind for the growth of EVs and ultimate purchasing by consumers. Now, here's the counterpoint. About four in 10 Americans, 38%, say they are very or somewhat likely to seriously consider an electric vehicle for their next vehicle purchase. That's according to a recent Pew Research Center survey. However, that still means 60% of the public is not. Now, I run over all of those facts and considerations as a setup for the discussion that I recently had with my guest this week. He is longtime auto industry veteran and entrepreneur, John Pazumato. He's founder of a business called driveitaway.com, and that's a company that allows you to rent a car and then buy it. The Drive It Away Rent to Own program enables people to select, drive, and eventually purchase the vehicle of their choice, regardless of their credit score. Drivers can even build credit in this process. And when we come back from this message from our sponsor, American Axle, I'm going to talk to John about his company and how it is especially right for these EV times in terms of people being able to try out an EV with a rent-to-buy option and living with it before they decide whether or not it's for them. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. So I'm here with John Pazomato, who is the founder of uh, Drive It Away. And uh, John, thanks for being with us. Thank you for being here. I'm, I'm very glad you asked me. So, John, first of all, Drive It Away. Tell our audience a bit about the business model, when you founded the company, and um, and kind of ha- how, how, how it's going. Sure. So back pre-pandemic when we founded the company, what we saw was that most of the retail car business has been rationalized and got more efficient and more transparent, except for that area for subprime and deep subprime, right? The buy here, pay here area. That actually probably hasn't changed in 40 years. But with technology and an app and streamlining things, we saw a way to make it better, more transparent, and uh, really profitable and cheaper and bring it into the sort of what I would call the you know, the, the new age of vehicle retail. So we founded the company on that. You call it subscription or call it long-term rental or call it micro-leases. It really is all the same thing. It's an easy, transparent, digital way that someone can enter a vehicle initially with no, um, uh, no long-term financial commitment, 
but can get the benefit of the write-down of the usage payments and eventually buy that vehicle, be in a position to buy that vehicle, uh, you know, when they want to. Uh, so that was the basis for it. Then, of course, the crunch came, and now we're in the EV age. And what we found is another big benefit to what we do, which is introducing people to EVs in, again, uh, no long-term financial commitment like a sale uh, or a lease, but a way to make them more affordable and a way to make them more approachable for folks who are kind of on the edge but don't necessarily want to commit just in case that it, it isn't suitable for their lifestyle. So if I go to your website and there's a particular car that I'm interested in, before we get into EVs, let's let's think about an ICE vehicle. So if I'm interested in a BMW 325, let's say, what what is the and, and I want to drive it for six months. Uh, what what is the structure of this subscription or long term rental in terms of monthly cost? Miles, can, you know, can I buy a certain amount of miles with with the, the the upfront deal, or is it a charge per mile, like like a lease? If you run over the the original term of the lease, great question. Well, I've got to say, David, first off, we we started and we still are a platform for dealers, so it's all in app and it's all turnkey, and so a dealer can really um, adjust these terms any way they want to. That being said. When the car crunch came, we didn't have much, you know, inventory from dealers, so we started running some of our own vehicles and setting parameters. And what what we found that works best is some sort of initial term um, with a, with a down payment, three months or six months, and then a month to month basis, and you know, a, a reasonable write down on that vehicle, and again, allowing that customer to get the benefit of that write down if they want to purchase. So it's great for subprime, but it's also great for everyone who, you know, I'm kind of interested in this vehicle and I'm kind of not. And, and the, the, the big push and justification in the market for me was when a few months ago when AutoNation introduced their microlease concept, which is identical to ours. I mean, they're using their own software platform and we have one for lots of dealers. But it said to us, yeah, there's, there's a niche here because the other benefit for the dealer, of course, is as they write those terms, if that person doesn't purchase the car, they're what we call manufacturing their own used car. And, you know, you know, late model good used cars are very rare today. And, and now the dealer can create their own, set those parameters the way they want. And depending on the, the desirability and, and, and how they want the vehicle to come back, uh, they can do it. Usually it's a it's a package of miles uh, a month and then someone will pay a mileage fee over. But unlike a conventional lease where hey, that builds up at the end and they could have lots and lots of, of, of money payments. In this case, they'll pay weekly or, or monthly for those extra miles. It won't build up as a giant charge. And the dealer has more control over that vehicle in terms of, hey, all of a sudden now there's tons of extra miles. What am I going to do? Well, they're tracking it every month and they can switch out if they want. Okay. So, again, I go to the Drive It Away website because I'm uh, – is this a, a website that – you want consumers to, to go to, or is this, or is your website more of a function for the for the dealers that you work with? Well, retail wise, again, it's not a website; it's an all in app. So you you download oh, okay. the app and you'd register right. in the app, and we'll run mostly dealer cars. It's for consumers, and dealers put their cars on there, okay. right? Um, and we've got some interesting avenues for traffic for the dealer. We work a lot with a, a lot of staffing agencies of, via, of people that need vehicles, so we'll, we'll channel them to that. Uh, but it'll be mostly dealer cars. It'll be mostly what they list. It'll be for 
retail traffic that we drive to it, and really as a tool for dealers to use this as a method to expand their market share, uh, create a used car. And when you look at the financial tax incentives for EVs, a way for the dealer to leverage those incentives, both on the new end and on the used end if they use the program. Now that we're getting into the EV segment, and there's a lot of people who are curious, because especially because of the cost, maybe they don't want to bite off you know, buying or leasing, you know, signing up for three years. But yeah, I can imagine somebody saying who's who needs to change cars eh, before I buy something. I, this micro lease sounds like a good idea. I'm going to I'm going to do this for three months or six months, live with it and see if it suits my lifestyle and, and my driving needs and all of that kind of thing. How much of that business are you getting? Like how much how much of your business is EV versus versus ICE? Well, as awareness builds, more and more is becoming EV. Because like you say, it's the perfect way to try something out, and there's a lot of hesitancy. Most people have never driven an EV. We're, I think we're out of early adopters now, right? And we're into more mainstream folks that would want to try it. So I mean, right now, about 30 40% is EV. If I were to go a year ago, it would be maybe 15%. And, and I think, you know, it's going to dominate within six months. Now, some of this too, right, is taking advantage of the $7,500 um, tax credit, which will be cash on the hood in 2024. That benefits the dealer and the customer because there's most vehicles um, have sourcing requirements, so they don't get the full 7500 unless, according to the Treasury, you put in a commercial lease as a dealer. And, and there's funding for this. You can get lines of, of credit to do this. But a rental or a subscription or a micro-lease all count as commercial, right? So there's 7500 on the front end um, in, in tax incentives. And then if that dealer runs that car a couple of years, so it's two model years old, and sells it to someone who you know, makes 75000 or 150000 a couple, there's 4000 on the hood for anything 25000 or less. So a dealer can actually collect two incentives, 11500 on the vehicle, pass that on to the customer, make this more affordable, and the customer still not only gets a better deal, but gets to try the vehicle out. And studies have shown that's the key to move an EV, right? People have never been in them, never have any desire to ever want them, right? Uh, folks that are actually in a vehicle, the, the desirability goes up. Folks that drive them, even higher. And that's where you see some of the rental companies, you know, pushing EVs in cooperation with manufacturers, right? People who drive them for an extended period, and, and we have proof of this, really don't want to get rid of them, right? They don't want to get out of them. So this gives them that, that we call an infinite test drive, where if they choose to buy the vehicle, there's no downside in driving it because they're going to get the benefit of the write down of the usage payments. And if they if it's a two-year-old vehicle, you know, if they run it for two years, they got 11500 on the hood, essentially. So, oh, and that's the, 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 the 11500 is if you take the 7500 plus, plus the four. Yeah. Okay. I would imagine that you're business model here works incredibly well now because we keep hearing about the overproduction of EVs and that, you know, there's discounting and things like that. But I would think that this arrangement would bring people who are fence sitters in off the sidelines a bit because the commitment's not as big. And it's, and the, you know, to your point, they could rent it for, for a month, right? And, or, you know, put, so I'm just going to make make up a number, and and I don't know if you'll you'll know that number, but let's say I wanted to do a micro lease on a Maki for three months, and it may not be fair to pick a 
very specific vehicle like that. But what kind of expense, what kind of, uh, what kind of cost am I looking at for three months when I give the keys back? Well, again, it depends on, on, on how the dealer works the incentive, right? Okay. You've got 7500 to take off the top to start with. Um, you know, it's going to be a cost of around, uh, you know, between 150 and, and say, 240 a week on the vehicle. But Which, by the way, is really good. <laughs> 150 to, to 250 versus nowadays renting. I mean, I looked at renting a car for a week recently while my, my car was being worked on. And I think it was going to, you know, be like 400 bucks for the week, you know, for not anything as interesting as a Mach-E. <laughs> well, and the Mach-E is very interesting, too, because you, you, there is a buildup of EV inventory. And there's a particular buildup of Mach-E's. So there's, there's incentives on the hood uh, from the manufacturer. And we see this as a win-win-win for the OEM the dealer and the consumer, right? Um, because it serves the purposes of all three. From the consumer, it, it lowers the cost and reduces, eliminates the risk, right? Um, there's no financial equipment up front, but you get the benefit of the usage payments if you take it. For the dealer, it opens up the leverage of the incentives, right? And moves the inventory off the lot. Now, actually, floor plans and expense for the first time in a long time dealer. And for the OEM, and this is the key thing, it introduces the product in an affordable way, right? Um, you know, in our own experience, you know, for the cars that we run, there's a lot of initial resistance for mainstream folks to get in an EV. But what we found is once they're in one, they keep it, right? Uh, you know, they have the, the fuel expense reduction. They realize that, look, yeah, there, there, there's range, but then again, I, I drive an average of 12 miles back and forth to work. I don't have to worry about it. I can recharge at home even or a wall socket. So there's lots of reasons to keep it once it's there. So for the OEM, again, it's, hey, now I've got the product out. I'm moving it quicker. Right? Uh, it, it's, it, it's the old adage back in the old days where, you know, take it home for the weekend. This is an extended version of take it home for the weekend. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You talk about the, the resistance. Um, I've long, th- I've been writing about EVs for a long time, and I've frequently said that the ideal adopter of an EV vehicle is the two-vehicle household, y- you know, where you have a husband and wife or mother and father, and you have two cars. So one, the, the ideal thing to do, I think, is, is that, the hi- you know, have a ICE or a hybrid vehicle as your... Uh, as one car, you have an EV as the other one. Because if you have that anxiety or about going on a trip, you've got a car to do that in. But most of our, we all have seen the statistics, most of our driving, you know, is under, you know, 50 miles a day. So it's the reluctance in people's heads is, okay, but sometimes I drive more than that. And then I'll be anxious. So to me, anybody who's got a two-car household nowadays, for one of them not to be in an EV, it almost feels like, what, what are you waiting for? You know, <laughs> you know I, I agree 100% with that. And I also, and this is what we're kicking around now for the one-car household, right? A lot of the times, it's the same level of driving, but let's say, look, yeah, but I, I go to Florida one time a year. So given the company that we are, we're thinking, all right, well, maybe what we can do. Well, first off, the reaction is, look, you could rent a car 
And with the fuel savings alone in a year, pay for that rental. But beyond that, because of the company we are, we're thinking of instituting a policy where, hey, look, you can swap that out for a week or so if you, if you take a trip. We're, we're thinking of all the different ways that, that we can accommodate that. Um, because I, I tell you, 90% of the time, there isn't really too much of an issue it's just in someone's head, right? Because they don't really drive that much. So if we could, if we could kind of, you know, alleviate that worry that all right, when you need a, an ICE unit, we'll figure out a way to get you an ICE unit. Now we've solved the problem for the one-car household, and it, this is an issue, right? You know, as you mentioned, the inventory of, of EVs is about double what ICE units are, and we've got a hundred new models coming out in the next thirty months, right? Where are these all going to go, right? We, we have to solve this issue of getting these vehicles in the mainstream hands, and it just, it's not going to solve itself, right? You know, I've been around a long time. I, I you know, I've covered this industry for 40 years, so I've, I've seen a lot. And this idea of the subscription, every time I, I hear somebody talk about it, it makes me think of Jack Nasser, who was the CEO of Ford, Around in, in the in the early aughts, you know, um, you know, he presided over the. He, he didn't last very long. He presided over the, the big Ford Firestone, Ford Explorer, you know, uh, recalls and the controversies. But one of the things he was pushing, and we all everybody thought he was nuts, was about this idea of changing the ownership model to a subscription model where you got a different Ford, Ford or Lincoln. Well, in those days, they still had Volvo and Land Rover and Jaguar. But that you would have a, a, this subscription idea where you could swap, swap out. And even you know every six months, or even if you had a special need, got the subscription going with Ford and, and the dealership, uh, on a particular, like, let's say you needed a, the car that you, you've got is a sedan, but you want uh, on a particular weekend, X number of times a year, uh, you need a truck or, a, or an SUV. And so the subscription was built in to give you those opportunities. Maybe there's a couple, a handful of weekends a year, you want a convertible, a, a Mustang convertible. And so you could structure your subscription to give you a certain number of opportunities to change vehicles. And everybody thought he was nuts. But here we are 20 years later, and here we are. <laughs> well, and, and I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of changes that EV sales will go through to get to the dramatic numbers that uh, both the OEMs and the government is counting on, right? And I think it's where these new models start to, to integrate in, right? I mean, way back, I, I, go, I go back as old, probably older than you. Uh, <laughs> I don't you know, think so. There was, there were, <laughs> yeah, close, right? There were, there were just sales, right? And, and you know, the, maybe you financed at 36 months, right? Off chance 48. Well, now what's the average term? Is like 72 months or, or 80 months. Then, then consumer leasing was introduced, right? And it opened up affordability to a whole new group of people to the point where before the car crunch, right? Um, 30, 40, 50 percent in some in, in some regional areas where were leases. Now I think we're into the age of, again, call it micro lease, call it subscription, call it long term rental, right? But I think that's going to play a more important role for a couple of reasons. One, 
again, it, it, for the immediate reason, it leverages the, the, the government incentives much better than, um, than a non-commercial use, right? For another reason, it's this, hey, I get to try it. It's different. I've never heard of it before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have to make a long-term financial commitment right? and the affordability thing. And, and, and the third sort of element is, you know, I, I see a lot of other subscriptions for the OEMs, right? You have over-the-air updates. You're going to have subscription services sold. Well, if I'm an OEM, what's the best way to introduce that? And, and you see the billions that they they predict they'll get from in-vehicle subscriptions. They're not the vehicle, but the subscription. What better way to start with a subscription on the vehicle itself, mm. right? Because now you're conditioned on a monthly basis, right? Technically, you haven't made that long-term financial commitment. So, yeah, maybe I'll try X or Y while I, while I do this. So I, I, I see the model changing for a lot of different reasons, and I honestly think that this is going to be a third channel outside of traditional sales, traditional consumer fixed leases, and now this third channel. And, again, we get caught up in the nomenclature of long-term rental, micro-lease, subscription. It's all really the same, right? Mm. It's a no long-term commitment trial where everything's packaged together and all digital. I have to add this too, right? Because this is an interesting fact. Everyone's focused on all digital transaction and still in the United States, you can't have that, right? For a sale or a lease. Mm -hmm. You need wedding signatures, documents. We do everything in app, right? Um, Technically, legally, this is a rental. So it can be truly all digital. And And I do this when I speak. I say, look, up on this stage, I can't sell you a car. I can't traditionally lease you a car. But by the time I'm finished, you could digitally sign and have a car waiting for you on a subscription micro-lease long-term rental, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the easiest to convenience. So for a lot of these things, this is converging. And I think something will form that will be a third channel on sales and leases. Well, I think you're right because um, somebody, and I forgive me, it might have been you earlier today, who said that new cars are for the affluent now. Right? Was that you? That, that was me. Okay, that was you. Yeah. Because one of the things that I find appalling <laughs> about the auto industry right now is that the average transaction price is forty-eight or forty-nine thousand dollars. The average, and and because that's the average, people. To your point, what was the average? The, the term of a yeah. loan, seventy-two months or eighty months. Okay. Now I realize time marches on. But I remember my first new car, okay, was a 1986 Chevy Nova. I can't tell you what the subscription price or what the the purchase price was. I can tell you that I had a four-year loan and my monthly payment was $223. And I realized that that's a long time ago. But... It's in my head somewhere, right? So right now I drive a, uh, a 2024 Escape, and my my monthly payment uh, for I took a four I take a four year loan, and and my monthly payment's like five sixteen, which that's too much for me, you know. But but the whole idea of of, of signing up to pay for a car over eight or nine years is I hate to use this word, it's stupid. <laughs> but but here we are. Yeah, no, the average payment's now 700 and something between interest rate and, and the vehicle. Well, I, the, the, that phrase came from me because I was on a, on a think tank call with the economists, and they were talking about 
uh, various manufacturers in EVs, and they were saying that mostly for luxury vehicles, and they just dismissed it as a fact that, hey, look, uh, all new cars now are only for the affluent. So, you know, but, but you take two steps back and say, that's really trouble, right? Because yeah. there's not a lot of affluent and there's a lot of non-affluent, and the car industry was built on selling to everyone. But we've kind of, like, secluded it now to just the affluent, and everything falls downhill now that the middle of the road is taking used vehicles, squeezing the low end to even lower vehicles, and, and there's a whole... It's one of the reasons why I see this third channel happening. There just isn't an unaffordability factor. And now you're asking people to pay on average 20% more for an electric vehicle than an ICE vehicle? It, it just it doesn't calculate, right? So I review cars all the time, you know, I test them and, and the new cars. We get invited to the launch programs and, and we evaluate. And I find myself lately recommending to a large number of my Facebook friends who will say, okay, i got to buy a new car. What's, uh, you know, what's the, the choice? And so the two cars that I have mentioned the most lately is the is a Toyota Corolla and a new car from General Motors called the Buick Invista, which is a really nice piece of work. And it tops out at like 30, you know, and today I when I started out in this business, Thirty thousand dollars was was literally the uh, from a tax standpoint was, was the demarcation line for luxury, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, it was under thirty and north of thirty. But you know, companies like Ford they eliminated Fiestas and Focuses. You can't. I mean, how many people in this country had a had a Fiesta or a Focus as their first new car out of college? I mean. Um, but you, you, you can't do it anymore. So, so now your your first car for a lot of people is a used car, you know. So, because to to our point that we've been making, the profitability is there for the automakers with average transaction prices of forty nine. But there's a lot of people who just that's not affordable, which is why they're signing up for these hideously long term loans to get the monthly payment down. It's just, it's a bad, it's a bad infrastructure of automotive buying and selling is this situation of cars are just too, too damned expensive. No, absolutely. And, and when you look at it, right, the bread and butter of this industry was always the, the middle of the road folks that traded every three or four years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the average underwater now is $6,000. So mm-hmm. those folks are out of the market. They 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 won't be trading, right? Right. Um, so it, it cascades in on itself, right? Um, and I think we've 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 undershot the effect of that. And that's why, again, I go back to this third channel that makes things affordable because you know we see it all the time in the subprime market. There's there's a ripple effect in the economy right now. You know, again, we deal with, with staffing agencies because the, the problem, there's a shortage of entry-level workers. But if you go back to that, there really isn't a shortage. There's a shortage of transportation for entry-level workers. Today, it isn't getting a job. That's easy. It's getting to the job. And, and personal transportation is not affordable, and buses don't go the right route, and, and people can't get jobs. Well, we're sitting in the city of Detroit right now as we record this, and that is a problem that this city is trying to solve um, since it went through its bankruptcy and it's changing the infrastructure around Detroit, but having the ability to get for people to get to a job is a priority of the city. And so because the bus system, you know, they have a bus system, 
Uh, and now they have the Q line that goes up and down Woodward Avenue, but that's um, that's limited. But they are, uh, you know, the future is uh, is you know driverless shuttles and and um, and and more buses that may or may not have a driver because the the city of Detroit has been well wired for to be a smart city so, since they you know they crashed and burned went into bankruptcy and now all this investment money has come back and they've spent it wisely from what I can tell wiring this the whole city for smart city connectivity and transportation. So, hey, John Pazamato, uh, you are the founder and CEO of Drive It Away. Thank you for a lovely chat. It was very interesting, you know, talking about this this third way. So uh, thanks again, and best of luck with the company, too. So. Thank you. It's been great. Again, thank you for inviting me, and uh, it's been a great conversation. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Thanks to John Pazamato of driveitaway.com for his insights and ideas about getting people into EVs for a trial period. Remember, please consider subscribing to the Wards Auto podcast on one of your podcast platforms, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can also just look out for our weekly story around the latest episode or in our daily newsletter, which I hope you subscribe to. And we provide a link to the podcast and you can just click on the link and it plays right off the page on your laptop, tablet, or smartphone. I'm your host, David Kiley. Graham Mitchell is our engineer and American Axle is our sponsor. Until next time, enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.